0: Chapter 6, Section 6 of The Promise of American Life by Herbert Crawley. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recorded by the Progressing America Project. Chapter 6, Section 6 Theodore Roosevelt as a Reformer. It is fortunate, consequently, that one reformer can be named whose work has tended to give reform the dignity of a constructive mission. Mr. Theodore Roosevelt's behavior at least is not dictated by negative conception of reform. During the course of an extremely active and varied political career he has, indeed, been all kinds of a reformer. His first appearance in public life, as a member of the legislature of New York, coincided with an outbreak of dissatisfaction over the charter of New York City, and Mr. Roosevelt's name was identified with the bills, which began the revision of that very much revised instrument. Somewhat later, as one of the federal commissioners, Mr. Roosevelt Mr. Roosevelt made a most useful contribution to the more effective enforcement of the civil service law. Still later, as police commissioner of New York City, he had his experience of reform by means of unregenerate instruments and administrative lies. Then, as governor of the state of New York, he was instrumental in securing the passage of a law taxing franchises as real property, and thus faced for the first time and in a preliminary way the many-headed problem of the trusts. Finally, when an accident placed him in the presidential chair, he consistently used the power of the federal government and his own influence and popularity, for the purpose of regulating the corporations in what he believed to be the public interest. No other American has had anything like so varied and so intimate an acquaintance, with the practical work of reform as has Mr. Roosevelt, and when, after more than twenty years of such experience, he adds to the work of administrative reform, the additional task of political and economic reconstruction, his originality cannot be considered the result of innocence. Mr. Roosevelt's reconstructive policy does not go very far in purpose or achievement, but limited as it is, it does tend to give the agitation for reform the benefit of a much more positive significance and a much more dignified task. Mr. Roosevelt has imparted a higher and more positive significance to reform, because throughout his career, he has consistently stood for an idea from which the idea of reform cannot be separated, namely, the national idea. He has, indeed, been even more of a nationalist than he has a reformer his most important literary work was a history of the beginning of the american national expansion he has treated all public questions from a vigorous even from an extreme national standpoint no american politician was more eager to assert the national interest against an actual or a possible foreign enemy and not even william randolph Hearst was more resolute to involve his country in a war with spain fortunately however His aggressive nationalism did not, like that of so many other statesmen, faint from exhaustion as soon as there were no more foreign enemies to defy. He was the first political leader of the American people to identify the national principle with an ideal of reform. He was the first to realize that an American statesman could no longer really represent the national interest without becoming a reformer. Mr. Grover Cleveland showed a glimmering of the necessity of this affiliation, but he could not carry it far, because, as a sincere traditional democrat, he could not reach a clear understanding of the meaning either of reform or of nationality. Mr. Roosevelt, however, divined that an American statesman who eschewed or evaded the work of reform, came inevitably to represent either special and local interests, or else a merely bourbon political tradition, and in this way was disqualified for genuinely national service. He divined that the national principle involved a continual process of internal reformation, and that the reforming idea implied the necessity of more efficient national organization. Consequently, when he became President of the United States, and the official representative of the national interest of the country, he attained finally his proper sphere of action. He immediately began the salutary and indispensable work of nationalizing the reform movement. The nationalization of reform endowed the movement with new vitality and meaning. What Mr. Roosevelt really did was to revive the Hamiltonian ideal of constructive national legislation. During the whole of the nineteenth century, that ideal, while no means dead, was disabled by associations and conditions from active to efficient service. Not until the end of the Spanish War was a condition of public feeling created, which made it possible to revive Hamiltonianism that war and its resulting policy of extraterritorial expansion so far from hindering the process of domestic amelioration availed from the sheer force of the national aspirations it aroused to give a tremendous impulse to the work of national reform it made americans more sensitive to a national idea and more conscious of their national responsibilities and it indirectly helped to place in the presidential chair the man who as i have said represented both the national idea and the spirit of reform. The sincere and intelligent combination of those two ideas is bound to issue in the Hamiltonian practice of constructive national legislation. Of course, Theodore Roosevelt is Hamiltonian with a difference. Hamilton's fatal error consisted in his attempt to make the federal organization not merely the effective engine of the national interest, but also a bulwark against the rising tide of democracy. The new federalism, or rather the new nationalism, is not in any way inimical to democracy. On the contrary, not only does Mr. Roosevelt believe himself to be an unimpeachable Democrat in theory, but he has given his fellow countrymen a useful example of the way in which a college-bred and a well-to-do man can become by somewhat forcible means a good practical Democrat. The whole tendency of his program— is to give a democratic meaning and purpose to the Hamiltonian tradition and method. He proposes to use the power and the resources of the federal government, for the purpose of making his countrymen a more complete democracy in organization and practice, but he does not make these proposals, as Mr. Bryan does, gingerly and with a bad conscience. He makes them with a frank and full confidence in an efficient national organization, as the necessary agent of a national national organization, as the necessary agent of the national interest and purpose. He has completely abandoned that part of the traditional democratic creed, which tends to regard the assumption by the government of responsibility and its endowment with power adequate to the responsibility, as inherently dangerous and undemocratic. He realizes that any efficiency of organization and delegation of power, which is necessary to the promotion of the american national interest must be helpful to democracy more than any other american political leader except lincoln his devotion both to the national and to the democratic ideas is thoroughgoing and absolute as the founder of a new national democracy then his influence and his work have tended to emancipate american democracy from its jeffersonian bondage they have tended to give a new meaning to popular government, by endowing it with larger powers, more positive responsibilities, and a better faith in human excellence. Jefferson believed theoretically in human goodness, but in actual practice his faith in human nature was exceedingly restricted. Just as the older aristocratic theory had been to justify hereditary political leadership, by considering the ordinary man as necessarily irresponsible and incapable, So the early French Democrats, and Jefferson among them, made faith in the people equivalent to a profound suspicion of responsible official leadership. Exceptional power merely offered exceptional opportunities for abuse. He refused, as far as he could, to endow special men, even when chosen by the people, with any opportunity to promote the public welfare proportionate to their abilities. So far as his influence has prevailed, The government of the country was organized on the basis of a cordial distrust of the man of exceptional competence, training, or independence as a public official. To the present day, this distrust remains the sign by which the demoralizing influence of the Jeffersonian democratic creed is most plainly to be traced. So far as it continues to be influential, it destroys one necessary condition of responsible and efficient government, and it is bound to paralyze any attempt— to make the national organization adequate to the promotion of the national interest mr roosevelt has exhibited his genuinely national spirit in nothing so clearly as in his endeavor to give to men of special ability training and eminence a better opportunity to serve the public he has not only appointed such men to office but he has tried to supply them with an administrative machinery which would enable them to use their abilities to the best public advantage and he has thereby shown a faith in human nature far more edifying and far more genuinely democratic than that of Jefferson or Jackson. Mr. Roosevelt, however, has still another title of distinction among the brethren of reform. He has not only nationalized the movement and pointed it in the direction of a better conception of democracy, but he has rallied to its hammer the ostensible, if not the very enthusiastic, support of the Republican Party. He has restored that party to some sense of its historic position and purpose. As the party which before the war had insisted on making the nation answerable for the solution of the slavery problem, it has inherited the tradition of national responsibility for the national good, and it was rapidly losing all sense of its historic mission, and, like the Whigs, was constantly using its principle and its prestige as a cloak for the aggrandizement of special interests. At its worst, it had indeed, earned some claim on the allegiance of patriotic Americans, by its defense of the fiscal system of the country, against Mr. Bryan's well-meant but dangerous attack, and by its acceptance after the Spanish war of the responsibilities of extraterritorial expansion. But there was grave danger that its alliance with the vested interests would make it unfaithful to its past as the party of responsible national action. It escaped such a fate only by an extremely narrow margin, and the fact that it did escape is due chiefly to the personal influence of theodore roosevelt the republican party is still very far from being a wholly sincere agent of the national reform interest its official leadership is opposed to reform and it cannot be made to take a single step in advance except under compulsion but mr roosevelt probably prevented it from drifting into the position of an anti-reform party which if it had happened would have meant its ruin and would have damaged the cause of national reform. A Republican Party which was untrue to the principle of national responsibility would have no reason for existence, and the Democratic Party, as we have seen, cannot become the party of national responsibility without being faithless to its own creed. End of chapter 6, section 6 Chapter 6, Section 6